Happy Mother's Day, Valley Bible Church. I was backstage talking to the choir and um, told them I was jealous about them getting a corsage. They said, well, you'll get one on Father's Day. I said, no, we get a flashlight. <laughs> and they said, why? Do you have problems losing your children and needing to find them? I guess that's why they give us a flashlight. I never thought of it. I was always wondering where my kids are. Anyway, today... Um, I just want to say I'm privileged and thank you for letting me preach on Mother's Day. I uh, just want to say thank you to all the gray-haired ladies at church. You probably heard this over and over again. I'll keep saying it over and over again. Um, I started going to church when I was about nine years old, and I'd go by myself, and I'd drag my three-year-old little sister. And it was amazing because the gray-haired ladies at church would uh, hug me. Messed up hair, holes in my jeans, all frumpy looking, and it wasn't cool then. It might be cool now. It wasn't cool then, but they'd uh, encourage me. They'd encourage me to keep living for Christ. They'd encourage me towards faith. They would pray, let me know that they prayed for me. When I was out of church for a while, married, um, out of church for a while, I remember coming back to church, and the gray-haired ladies here would hug me and say, we were praying for you while you were gone. While you were a prodigal son, we, we kept you in prayer, and they'd wrap their arms around me. Thank you for uh, mothering me. Thank you for being a mother to the kids that come to this church. There, we've had dozens of kids come through our children's church, riding their little bikes to church through our youth group. They will remember like me. Continue to, to love on them and mother them while they're here, and they'll continue to give a testimony that you were there for them in their greatest times of need. Today, I'd like to talk about three of the mothers of our faith. I'd like to touch on their lives, um, describe their lives to you. I'd like to describe five general characteristics of great faith. Um, I'd like to show you their faith in action. And then I'd like to wrap it up with their rewards and then ask you a question about your faith. I'd like to start with Rahab the harlot. As you look at your notes, I'd like you to real quickly... Right, Rahab the harlot. In almost every reference of her in the Bible, that's how they describe her. That's the reference they give to her. The next one I'd like you to write down is Anna. Next to Anna, the prophetess. The prophetess. A, a great signification of her faith. And then the last one we'd like to look at, it's a Syrophoenician woman. doesn't have her name, but just put plain old Jane there. Plain old Jane. Let's start out with Rahab. What's neat about this is uh, it's in Joshua chapter 2 through chapter 6. I'm not going to read it because it's kind of lengthy, but I'll just rehash it, uh, retell the story here. It's a, a cloak and dagger kind of story. It's amazing because outside on the other side of the, of the Jordan River, there's about 2 million plus people over there. 600,000 men of war among the people there. They've been wandering the desert for 40 years. Nearly 40 years of wandering the desert because they sent the 12 spies into the land and they got back a bad report from 10 of them. Even though they got back a bad report, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it because we believe our God. But the other 10 said, we can't put our faith in this God. We shouldn't go in there. And for that, their consequences was to wander the desert and be nomads for nearly 40 years. This time, as they're sitting out over there, they're going to send two spies into the land. Joshua said, hey, we're not doing this by committee anymore. 
We're not sending 12. I'm going to send two spies. You bring back the report. I'll make the decision in front of the Lord our God with his counsel of whether we should go in and take the land or not. These two spies cross the river, get into um, uh, Jericho just before sundown, get in through the gates, and they go up on the wall, and they wind up knocking on a door of a prostitute. They wind up knocking on her door because it's a great location. It's a great strategic location for spies to do their reconnaissance. They can see the wall. They can see the gate from her house. They can see who the armies are inside the wall. But this is who they knock on their door. They knock on this door of Rahab. While they're there, <clears throat> Joshua meets the two spies that come into her home, and they're discovered. This is a problem. They thought they could sneak into this place. They thought that they can get into uh, this house and be able to be unnoticed, but they're discovered. And the king sends his men over to check out where these spies have gone. And they know that they've gone to Rahab's house. Now you've got to realize that God gave a prophecy to Abraham. And in that prophecy in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham that you will have this land. But the wickedness of the Amorites hasn't been completed yet. That's a, an amazing statement. The fullness of their wickedness has not been completed. So 400 years later, their wickedness has come to the point where it's filled up to the maximum. It's filled up to the maximum tolerance that God has. And it's time for the Israelites to go in and conquer the land. These people are full of witchcraft, mediums, fortune tellers, idolatry, satanic worship. They're taking their own babies and their children and they're throwing them into fiery furnaces. They're worshiping gods like Dagon and Molech. They're worshiping fish gods and storm gods and they're sacrificing their own children. God said this is such wickedness that it has never entered his mind. This is intolerable things. This is things that God warned his own people about as they go into the land to stay away from this people because they will corrupt all of your religion, all of your morals, and their wickedness has reached their maximum fill. And here it is, these two spies, two men knock on, their, on her door, and guess what? She, as she opens this door, she meets two warriors. Two seasoned warriors, men who are skilled with, with weapons, men who are skilled with swords, men who have been to battle, and they come into her house. She hears the report that the king is sending an agency over there to check this out, to take these two spies, and she has to make a choice. Does she turn over these two spies and receive a handsome reward for turning them over, or does she hide them? Well, she is known through Scripture for taking the chance and the risk of hiding these men from the king's entourage. Rahab is by far no dummy. If you really take a look at what she's done, she's plied her trade. She scratched her way up from the bottom of society. She's a prostitute who has sold her soul day after day to men who have abused her. But she has taken this money and she has bought herself a house 
on top of the wall, one of the privileged houses there in her society, in her city. While she is there, she could lose everything, even her own family, if she hides these spies. But this is the report that she gives. She tells the spies from Israel, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard the reports. She is making a decision right now to put her whole life, everything that she has, she's stacking everything on this God that they serve. Because when she met these men, these weren't the regular kind of warriors she knew. This wasn't the regular kind of men that she's used to visiting her home. These men were different. These were men of Yahweh. These were men who were believers. These were men who gave testimony to her while they were in her house. And she says, I believe the reports. We've all heard it. We're all faint-hearted. We're all here in fear. Our nation is scared of you because we heard that your God delivered you over the Red Sea and wiped out the Egyptian army pursuing you. We've heard that God has given you victory in each of the wars that you've had in the 40 years you've been wandering this desert. I believe your reports. At that point, she said, I'm going to put everything on this God, Yahweh, and she hid the spies. The king's men came, and she said, yes, they were here, but quickly catch them before the gate closes. She misdirected the king's men so she could spare their lives. She hid them up on the rooftop among the flax. And at the middle of the night, she got up with a rope. She must have been a buff woman. She got a rope and a basket and lowered them down over the side of the wall. And they escaped for their lives and were able to give their report to Joshua. I'd like to look at Anna the prophetess. Anna the prophetess. There's not a whole lot of women in the Bible that got this great honor of being called a prophet of God. Let's read her story here in Luke, and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 15. Luke chapter 2, we want to read about Anna the prophetess. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them. Oh, let me hold on here. At this point, Anna has been at the temple for maybe nearly 64 years. Some reports are, are varying. She may have been there for 84 years. She's either between the age of 84 and 104. Says she's very old. But while she's there, she's gotten to know another prophet. Simeon. Is that how you say his name, Simeon? <laughs> Sorry. Um, while he's there, I'm sure that he shared the story with her that God will not let him die until he's seen the consolation of Israel, until he's seen the salvation of God, until he's seen the Redeemer. 
So during that time, I'm sure that she's been talking to everybody, waiting for the redemption of Israel. She's been sharing with everybody that comes, talking. She's been leading worship. She's been singing. She's been following God, fasting and praying, looking for the Redeemer. She overhears at this point, possibly Simeon giving his prophecy of Jesus. At that time, she comes over to Mary and Joseph, coming to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. As we take a look at Anna's life, it's kind of a story of heartbreak, isn't it? It isn't a story of trial and tribulation. Here she is, a very young woman, possibly between the age of 20 and 22, and she's lost the love of her life. She's become widowed. She has no children for her to depend on in her old age. Some way, somehow, it's not typical for a woman to spend the night, to stay night and day at the temple, but she's been able to find a way to be able to stay at the temple day and night. See, with all of her heartbreak, with all the things that have happened in her life, she found her solace in the temple of God. She found her solace and her comfort in worshiping God. She found her solace and her comfort in praying and fasting for the people of Israel. She could have said, forget this, God. I've lost the love of my life. I've lost my husband. I have no children. Can you imagine what she felt like when young families would come to dedicate their children at the temple? How her heart must have ached for a family. But she said, I will intercede and pray for these families. I will give my life in dedication and service to the Lord my God. And I will see and I will wait for the time of the redemption of Israel. See, Luke says that there was a murmur among all the people. The Holy Spirit was moving among the nation because everybody was looking intensely for the redemption of Israel. They were looking for the Messiah at this time. And Anna said, I am going to be here at the temple when this happens. And when it happens, can you imagine the look on her face when she could hold the baby Jesus, when she could hold the Messiah and look in his face and know and recognize and say, this is the consolation of Israel. This is our Redeemer. She gets the title prophetess. You know what the greatest prophet was in the Bible? John the Baptist. Jesus said he's the greatest prophet born among women. How many miracles did John the Baptist do? How many healings did John the Baptist do? All he did was he said, there is the Christ. There he is. I'm preparing the way, and I've been preaching about him, and there is the Christ. That is Jesus, the Messiah. That's our Redeemer. And what does Anna the prophetess do? She bugs everybody that comes to the temple. Everyone, it says, everyone that would give her ear, everyone that would listen and give her time, she told about the redemption of Israel. I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the Redeemer. And she gets her name etched in Scripture for eternity for what she did, for her fastings and prayers and for her proclaiming the Christ. As we take a look, um, I'd like to look at... um, one more woman. I'm, I'm sorry that she doesn't have a name. I wish she had a name. I, I, I have her down as a Syrophoenician woman. She's a, she's a 
Greek that's been uh, probably born in Canaan, um, grew up there. She has the same heritage and background as Rahab. The idolatry, the witchcraft, the wickedness, the, the child sacrifices going among her culture. She's tired probably. She's probably tired of all the idolatry and all the wickedness. And her daughter is demon-possessed among her people. She's probably hearing these rumors and these stories. The Jews, their Messiah has come. The, the Jews, there's, there's a man healing down in Israel. There's a man in Jerusalem. He's, he's been performing miracles. He's been feeding 4,000. He's been proclaiming good news to all of the poor. He's been binding up broken hearts and healing and mending people. She's probably been hearing the stories, and she decides to leave her daughter in the care of a caretaker, and she takes the risk of her life. She's leaving her people. She's leaving the safety of her people, going alone. She's leaving all that she has. She's leaving all of her gods behind, all of her idol worship, all of the witchcraft, the mediums, the fortune tellers. She's leaving it all behind, and she's heading down, risking her life, going to Jerusalem. If her people knew she was going down there, they might kill her. She's risking everything for the love of her daughter. Let's read Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Then we're going to take a look at the five general qualities of great faith after we look at what her life looks like. Leaving that place, we, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman for the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Wow. Let's look at the five general qualities of great faith. Each one of these women showed these qualities in, her, in their belief in God. But I want to just take this as an illustration from the Phoenician woman's life. She had an attitude of repentance. She had an attitude of repentance. She cried out, have mercy. Have mercy. We need to have an attitude of repentance. We need to turn to God and tell him, have mercy on my soul. For I come from a nation of sinners. I come from a family of sinners. I am a sinner and I need mercy. This mercy, you call out for mercy when somebody has something against you. When they can hold something against you, you cry out for mercy. When they're the greater power, when they're the victor, you cry out and you ask them to spare your life. 
this great faith of this woman, just a plain old Jane, just a simple faith. She doesn't have the Messiah. She doesn't have the law. She doesn't have Moses. She doesn't have the prophets. She doesn't have the temple worship. She doesn't have the stories, the reports. All she's doing is saying, I have heard, I believe, have mercy on me, O son of David. You see, her faith was properly directed. She said, have mercy on me, O son of David. See, their cultures would clash over the centuries. Their cultures intermingled over the centuries, and I'm sure that she knew that son of David was a popular term for the Messiah. This would be the term that is used for the redemption of Israel, for the Redeemer. And she calls out to him and says, I know that you are the Son of God. She's professing with her mouth Jesus as Lord when she calls him Son of David. It's reverent. Man, what a, what, what a, a precious, beautiful expression when she knelt before him. I would love the opportunity to kneel before Christ. I would love the opportunity to grab him by his ankles, to weep and to cry and to lay prostrate before him and say, have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. This woman got to do that. She got to do it. She was reverent before Christ, and she bowed before him. Great faith is reverent. Great faith is persistent. Great faith is persistent. Holy smoke, she had to be persistent, didn't she? Here she is. She walks up to Jesus crying out, and he ignores her. Didn't acknowledge her. Didn't look her way. Didn't talk to her. She's crying out so much. And the disciples kind of tune in to Jesus ignoring her, so they become irritated too. And they're saying, get rid of her, Jesus. She's a Canaanite woman. Get rid of her. Push her away. Ignore her. Tell her to leave us alone. She's annoying us. But you know who's setting them up? Jesus is setting up his own disciples for a great lesson. See, they're saying, send her away. Jesus has told them, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the fountain of life. And here his own disciples are saying, get rid of her. Have no compassion on her, Lord. But he is the Lamb of God. He is all compassionate. He is all loving. He came to save the world. Isn't that what John 3.16 says? So he's setting up his own disciples for a great lesson. He even says, I came only to the lost sheep of Israel. So they're probably even more indignant. Here's a Canaanite woman. Jesus just said he's only here for the lost sheep of Israel. Go away. But she cries out more. She cries out louder. And she runs up to Jesus and grabs him by his feet and says, Have mercy on me, O son of David. Great faith is persistent. Great faith is humble. Great faith, she says, yeah, I, I'm not as educated as these men. I don't know the laws. I don't know the requirements. But this one thing I do know, I will humble myself with all the ridicule, with all of you pushing me away, and I will cry out. 
I will face the humility of it because I know this is the Redeemer. I know he's the Christ, and I believe. Persistent faith, humble faith, um, correctly directed faith. Now, I'd like to talk about the faith expressed, the action of their faith in these three women. The action of their faith. See, faith produces action. That's the whole book of James. The whole book of James. James is saying, show me your faith without actions, and I will show you my faith by my actions. This, these faiths of these women was, was uh, expressed in action. The Syrophoenician woman, just simple faith. Just simple faith. Not a lot of education, not a lot of knowledge. She just knew. She believed and she pursued. She loved her daughter so much that she would take the three rejections. Rejection of being ignored. Rejection of, of the apostles pushing her away. Rejection of Jesus saying, I've only come to the lost sheep. And she would be humble before them. As Jesus looked and turned to her, she, he said to her, you're a dog. Our people look at you as pets as dogs, and the bread for the children is not meant for the dogs. That's shocking to me. I, I, I am shocked that our Messiah, the Jesus that I know, would act this way towards a woman in desperate need of a, for a daughter to be healed of demon possession. But this is what Jesus says to teach his disciples a lesson. For he knew her thoughts. Doesn't Psalms 139 say, I know your thoughts from afar? He knew the progression of this, in, this meeting here and wanted to teach his disciples a lesson. But this is her reaction. Her reaction is, yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord, I'm a dog. I'm a dog. You're a great man. You're the Messiah, the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. And all of that power and all of the miracles you've done and all the healings you've done, isn't there a little bit of power left over? Isn't there just a little bit to heal my daughter? Surely you haven't expended all of your miracles and all of your strength. Isn't there just a crumb that may fall from the children's table that my daughter may have just a crumb? I might just have a crumb. Would you heal my daughter? And Jesus' response, he only says this to two people. And what does he say to the disciples all the time? Ye of? And he looks and turns to this woman. His disciples, ye of little faith, look at this woman, woman of great faith. Just a simple faith. But Jesus looks at him, you believe. That's great faith. There's no doubt. You're persistent. You've come after me. I am the bread of life. And yes, I will give you the bread of life. Anna, I call her great joy faith. She has a faith of great joy. Great joy faith. And in her faith against all of the trials and tribulations she faced, against all of that, she had and expressed great joy because she knew the Savior. She knew God. 
She believed the scripture. She put faith in Yahweh, the great I am, the king of kings and lord of lords. She put faith in God and decided that that was more important in her life. And she got great joy in her worship. She had great joy in her fastings. She had great joy in her prayers. How many of you have had prayer schedules? Ask my wife if I got up at 5 a.m. for my prayer schedule this morning. More like 7 a.m. I hit the snooze button about 25 times. But here is a woman that says, night and day she worshiped and she fasted and prayed because she had great hope and expectation in her God. She had great joy. She had a faith of great joy. Here's one. I love it. Rahab the harlot. You know what kind of faith she had? She had crazy faith. Didn't she? She, out of all of them, she truly risked her life. She risked the life of her whole family, of everyone involved. She had crazy kind of faith. She said, I believe these reports, and I've heard about your God, and I am trusting that you are godly men. And she had a crazy kind of faith, and she put her faith in God. This is the part I want to get to. This, this is actually the whole, the whole place. I would rather skip all of that and get to this one point. This is the rewards of their faith. I'm just so excited to share the rewards of their faith. The, the, their, their persistent faith, their crazy faith, their simple faith, their faith of great joy. Here we go, Hebrews chapter 11. Guess whose name is in the hall of faith? It says, Rahab the harlot. Her name's in the hall of faith. It comes right after Abraham, the father of faith. And it goes through great detail of, of Abraham's great faith in God. And then it goes through Rahab, the harlot's great faith. And describes that she hid the spies. And tells of her great deeds. There's a couple more names after her, but they just put the names. They don't put the great deeds that they did. But hers ends, the hall of faith, with great deeds right after the father of great faith, Abraham. She's reported there. But guess what? That's not where the story ends for Rahab. This is amazing to me. Rahab's son, Boaz. Boaz. The greatest love story that we know ever written. The kinsman redeemer. Ruth is Boaz's wife, and Boaz is the one that put up himself as the kinsman redeemer that would redeem Boaz. Guess what? The story doesn't end there for, for Rahab either. Out of her womb came kings. See, she was David's great-grandmother. She was David's great-grandmother, and kings came from her. And guess what other king? If it's in David's line, what other king came from her line? The Messiah, the king of kings. Isn't that an amazing story of redemption? Ah, it's crazy. The Phoenician woman, her reward is she gets put down as the woman of great faith in Scripture, and her daughter is healed of demon possession. Her daughter is cured. Anna, her reward. Can you imagine if she was 84 when she saw Jesus? She might have lived to 96. Can you imagine... I'm just speculating that at 12 years of age, Jesus shows up at the temple. Could you see the gleam in, in Anna's eyes when she could say, there's the Messiah. 
as he's teaching the teachers and priests about the Father, the God of all heaven. Could, could you imagine the joy she would have seeing him there at 12? I held him as a baby. That's the Messiah. He's our Redeemer. In the con conclusion of uh, great faith takes action, I'm wondering if you could identify with maybe one of these women. Can you identify with one of them? All of them had great trials in their life. All of them had heartache and were broken in life. All of them turned to God. They put their faith in Christ. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Can you relish and cherish the fact that these three women of faith had great rewards for their faith? Weren't their rewards amazing? Even as a man, as a dad, man, I would love to be Simeon and hold Jesus and know that our redemption is here, that our Christ has shown up, be able to look in the face of the Messiah. What amazing rewards. Look at these women's legacies. I'd like to ask you the question, what kind of faith do you need today? Do you need a simple faith? Do you need a faith of great joy? Maybe your great joy faith is running on empty right now. You know what Anna did? In the face in the midst of her heartbreaks and trials, she worshipped. She worshipped, and she prayed, and she fasted. What you need to do if you're kind of empty, kind of low on your great joy kind of faith, get praying. Seek the Lord. Seek him. Worship. Get to know who he is. You can't worship him unless you know him. You got to read this. Get in love with this. Then you'll see who he is, and then your voice will scream out, he is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer, and I'm going to worship him for all that he is. The simple faith, maybe you just need simple faith today. I just need to trust Jesus. Better yet, I'll bet most of you here need crazy faith. You need crazy faith. You need faith that says, I'm going to risk everything for Jesus. I'm putting everything on the line. I'm putting my family on the line. I'm putting my home on the line. I'm putting my job on the line. I'm putting my life on the line. I'm going to serve Jesus with all my heart, mind, and soul. I'm going to be sold out for him. I'm putting everything on that, man. I'm putting everything on the Redeemer. A crazy kind of faith. With, with one more thing with Rahab. See, the two spies told her to tie a scarlet cord around her window. They had just left Egypt. At the end of the ten plagues, they took the blood of the lamb and placed it on their mantle and smeared it on their doorpost because the angel of death came over Egypt and killed every firstborn son. There's a scarlet thread that runs through Scripture. You see, when, he put, when they put the scarlet cord in her window, it was a signification that the blood will cover you, that everyone in your home will be rescued. Not one hair will be hurt on anyone's head. See, when those walls fell, Rahab's house stood. When those walls fell, Rahab's house stood. And when those spies went in, they rescued her father and her mother and everyone involved that could fit in that home. 
That's the crazy kind of faith reward. What kind of faith do you need today? What kind of faith do you need to express? Our God rewards your faith. He rewards your faith greatly. As we look at these three women's lives, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged by them. I hope you're willing to say, I need simple faith. I need to find my great faith of joy. I need to find this crazy kind of faith, and I need to trust Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Father, we're amazed by your great and awesome love. Psalm 51 says that your love is everlasting it's never ending it's incomprehensible it's unconquerable it won't diminish it won't be wiped away we thank you for that kind of love for your children we ask you lord that you would help us with our simple faith that you would supply us with faith of great joy that you would give us a crazy faith that we would live for you like these great women of our faith have be glorified in our lives today be glorified we ask in jesus precious name Amen.